When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get informed, get inspired, and get connected. CannabisRadio.com presents NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. The National Cannabis Industry Association is the only national trade organization representing the businesses of the legal cannabis industry. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice covers a range of topics, including the rapidly evolving political and policy changes that affect our industry, news and events of importance to cannabis professionals, and features on companies, individuals, and campaigns at the cutting edge of the cannabis industry. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice begins now. All right, we are sitting here in NCIA's podcast studio on the expo floor of NCIA's 7th Annual Cannabis Business Summit and Expo. As I've mentioned, we're getting to see people again in person, in the flesh, and meet new people. And I have a new person here in my podcast studio. Her name's Solange Burnett, and she is a social media influencer. Can you tell me more about that social media world? OMG, the fact that you called me a social media influencer just like... My, I think I had hives now. <laughs> that is something that just like kind of happened from talking about topics that really resonated with people during the pandemic. Um, but I have a cannabis company called Humble Bloom that's based in New York. Um, but we do even experiences out here in California. We've done things like take people to Aster Farms so that they can experience this sun-grown organic hemp that uses regenerative agriculture practices and then just be in community like consumers, people at corporations, people that are activists and advocates around well-being folks um, and just have a weekend retreat. So we do like retreats, we do cohort learning models like femme care sessions and men's sessions on vulnerability and performance. So we're really about community and culture. Um, and I am on the Resistance Revival Chorus, uh, and so I'm a singer. I've been really in arts and music for a long time, as well as nonprofit. So it's, it's like the influence thing is exciting in some ways. It's also like there's a whole connotation to that, that I'm like, I feel like I'm more an educator and creator. Um, sure, yeah. And like, especially on cannabis, you know, and yeah. all the intersections. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm new to this social media influencer concept myself, but there's so much more to you based on what you just shared as well. What drew you to the, the world of cannabis as both a movement and an industry? Yeah, so I feel like cannabis is just an opportunity to shift mindsets and hearts and really change culture on a broad scale um, because of the intersections of so many things, whether we're talking about medicine or we're talking about sustainability of communities and of individuals and you know making some kind of wealth in your generation as an individual what a concept like i know can we maybe help <laughs> these millennials right <laughs> um, but yeah it uh, fem care it's talking about like ptsd there's like literally it touches on so many things that it's an opportunity to really make change um, so that was really attractive to me and also i just love weed like i I am the type, I, as I said, was a musician as well, and a lot of folks were into other drugs and actually had some bias against cannabis when I was hmm. doing that kind of stuff in the particular community I was in. Um, really Euro, really like tech and ro techno rock kind of energy. And it was a little bit like unnerving for me to be the black woman smoker, you know, in the group of people who didn't look like me. Um, and so I've always made statements by normalizing the plant and using it publicly, even when it's in an illegal space like New York, because New York just went adult use recently, and I've been doing this for years. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's like activism, like you do it, you know, um, and cannabis is just an opportunity for that. Absolutely. One phrase that I've heard over the years is that, you know, there is a culture of the plant. There are lessons that the plant teaches us. And I really love that concept oh, yeah. um, because you know, I, I myself have used cannabis for 20 years now and I use it for self-care. Yeah. You know, I'm not using it to really get messed up but that's fine too but <laughs> yeah no but and at I the same time yeah think of the full spectrum of usage right like and who and how people get intertwined with it sure and I think the mindfulness element for me has also been huge I right. during the pandemic you know you're alone in Brooklyn by yourself trying to figure out how to stay mentally and physically sound without mm. people around you and I've been very cautious because I care about community I don't want to be in spaces and places where I could you know hurt people potentially by putting other people at risk so I did stay pretty isolated I started doing breath work a lot weekly so I learned how to like shift my body biologically and physiologically just through the power of my own breath and at that time period to think about breath just being a radical act in itself one because of the pandemic but two black lives matter and people literally not being able to breathe it's like mm. I really leaned into that coupled with cannabis to feel into flow and to be able to be creative and to be able to feel safe um, and just have that like level of homeostasis that was so desperately needed. Yeah, cannabis was deemed an essential business in almost every state except Massachusetts during the most strictest of those lockdowns in early 2020. And I think that just was an incredible revelation that, wow, thank, like, like it was mind-blowing. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that was a moment where you realized that like we all need this plant 
<laughs> it is intertwined with our minds. It is intertwined with our bodies, our physical health, our mental well-being, our ability to share and be in community with people, um, to feel culturally aligned with folks. Like, weed does all of that. And I think that we finally had this mainstream moment, right? But yeah. even with that, it's still illegal. <laughs> So it's this, that is what cannabis is though. It is like so much happening at the same time. And you're literally like, how could we be deemed essential but still be illegal? Makes no fucking sense. Frickin', sure. Frickin' sense. So federal legalization is, you know, the, the big goal that we're all working toward in this really fancy state-by-state -state system we have here in the United States where it's one state at a time. And, you know, let's- we're all like different countries, honey. Yeah. I feel like I'm exploring when I come from New York to California. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> you know? We should start taking bets on the last states to legalize, right? Oh you know, God. that's that's a good... Uh, I feel like some won't. Right. They're like giant opt-out neighborhoods. Sure. Yeah. Well, <laughs> their loss. They're stupid. <laughs> so other things to look forward to um, as our industry continues to evolve is the the continued efforts for diversity, equity, and inclusion in the cannabis space, which were, it's its a focus for all industries right now yeah, in particular, yeah. finally, appropriately so. Mm. But cannabis is really, has an opportunity to do even more for the communities that were most impacted by the war on drugs historically. What are your thoughts around the DEI efforts that the cannabis industry is working through right now? Well, I hate to be a Debbie Downer, but I was just reading stats about this, and cannabis is failing. Um, we're really good at talking the talk in this industry and like knowing terminologies and being really verbose and sitting and being intellectual about shit. But when it comes down to the action, the numbers are showing that both when you look at women in leadership, our femmes in leadership, as well as the global majority, BIPOC, whatever you want to call us, this melanated group of folks, all on the decline. From 2019 to 2021, it was literally like a 16 point slip for black folks in leadership positions. And for women, we're now back to the average of everybody else, like across industries. But literally the black and brown people are at like 13%, which is lower than the nation standard across all industries. So cannabis is doing a shit job of action. We don't have social equity programs that work. We have predatory investors. We have a lot of problems. And also when it comes to sustainability and like whitewashing and greenwashing shit, when cannabis again is an opportunity to actually heal, but we're going for a harm situation. Um, whether it's producing in ways that are energy consuming, and trying to say that this is good and then having more CO output. Colorado had more CO output that came from cannabis plants than the coal industry. And Colorado is a coal industry state. Like, we have a problem, Houston. <laughs> so we've gotta be like really real about what is actually happening in the industry and what we're just talking about. Um, and, you know, I've been really trying to help folks figure out that like, 
legislation is the love language we need to get into. Um, we have set up systems where people who have access to money are the only ones who get access to information, so we're so far behind even if we talk about social equity in states. It's like, come on, honey. And we're not setting up things that could be cooperative <laughs> so that small farms and small businesses can work together. It's like just vertical integration, like separation is not enough. You know, we've got to set people up to succeed. We've got to, it's just like, there's so many issues. Um, and I feel like there's good intention, but intention is one thing and action and results are another. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that insight. Um, you know, some of these states are taking the initial steps of setting aside a certain amount of licenses for for black and brown people. Um, Massachusetts was one of the first states to actually write that into the law in the get-go rather than an afterthought, right? Mm -hmm. So, and there's something to be said about the multi-state operators versus small businesses. And one thing that I really love about the cannabis industry is that it does allow for small businesses, mom and pop businesses. That's like the backbone of America to me. Yeah. And not everything can go, not everything's a Walmart, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like there's, there's something to be said about shop local, support, yeah. support local. Yeah. And I like what you were saying about the cooperatives and allowing smaller businesses to work together yeah. rather than, you know, just becoming some MSO that's and whitewashed, right? Be eaten up, you know, right. and strip them of their essence and not allow for culture like cannabis and nature, it's all about biodiversity, right? That's how we achieve balance, right? And if we're gonna continue to just take the toxic trends and cultures of other industries and just plug them into all the leadership of all the major companies and all the money, money and all the capital, like, we're not gonna have these mom and pop brands. And yes, like, and that terrifies me because the quality products actually come from the mom and pop brands that care about us, don't care about minimizing so that profit is made and so that we get subpar products, whether it's flour or it's some kind of topical or whatever. Like, I, we work with brands that have an ethos of care, you know, and to, and literally from the hiring to the cultivation of their plant and even if they're outside of the cannabis industry are making products and advocating for things that are organic and as clean as possible and sustainably packaged and everything you know so like I understand that there has to be a mix of both and that's why I call for this biodiversity but we have to have a fair shot you know we yeah. have to have a fair shot that's a beautiful way of putting it thank you oh, um, and you know and NCIA is uh, an organization that agrees with you and we have a diversity equity and inclusion committee um, as well as a scholarship program for those licensees as well um, to give them that knowledge that shared knowledge that our information is power right um so but these are only small steps in the grander scheme of things sure. um and some of the things you were mentioning are what i've been hearing from some others involved in those program as well um just the knowledge what you said about the information is only flowing to those with the money right I mean, you're set up that way when yeah. you're making application fees so high. Right. Just having to wait, but knowing that people who've done it in other states already have a leg up, know that the MSOs that are already established in the medical market are also already set up. Like, right. you're so far behind. Like, sure. no, even when you begin, like, there's no way. 
So it's, it's just really, really a challenging thing. And it's like, there is opportunity for sure, but you've gotta be smart, you gotta build a great team. You've like, it's a lot of work. Absolutely. <laughs> it's, gotta, it's gotta take a lot of personalities and people. And I think that also is a thing for brands to be sustainable. Like we're looking to get a license in New York. Um, New York is also a state that's caring about social equity and about social justice in the conversation with automatic expungements and also having, you know, a 50% goal. That's the problem there. Goal of equity, like, mm. like minorities and whatever, because a goal, again, is an intention. Um, and who is that? Like, what are the criteria for that? If it's just being a woman or if it's just there's certain groups that are still privileged that are going to have more access to this. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just a little bit like we're waiting for these regs, but we're out here trying to figure out who could we partner with mm -hmm. that's coming from California, that's already based in New York, that's in Toronto. We provide experience. We know community. We know culture. We're here to collaborate, you know, so I am excited for what's to come for sure. That's great. Well, I'm so glad that you were able to attend our conference this yes, year. Me too. What are some of your other goals <clears throat> while you're here? Are there any panel sessions you're looking forward to? Yeah, so I, first of all, I just want to say I'm so grateful to be here. It has been so much fun so far. I went to like a sustainability um, working session yesterday and it was really impactful. Great. And just a great opportunity to share, you know, perspective on sustainability and social justice and equity in that conversation, not, you know. And then I think just meeting so many incredible people, folks going from like, URL to IRL, either we've been like talking right. on IG forever and now we're finally meeting. <laughs> um, that is just like the best moment and being able to puff together outside and get high. I'm just that. like, yes. yes, it's like really beautiful to be in community here. So this is just great. And I guess with regards to actual um, conversations, I want to check out Vince um, from Nabus is talking on a Canavest panel tomorrow, as well as Khadijah Tribble from um, um, Cure Leaf. So I want to check out those two conversations. Great. This morning I heard uh, the parent company in conversation with Mary Mag. Um, Adrian is. Oh, Beyonce's that's husband? Also, yeah. yeah, Beyonce's husband. <laughs> oh, no. That guy wasn't there, but. Right, yeah. What's his name? His Troy. Partner. Troy. Yes. Yeah. The, Troy the Dodger. business guy. Yes. The business guy. He was there. Mm -hmm. um, and so the culture wasn't, but the business guy was there. Um, and then, yeah, Adrian, we know him from Brooklyn, so it was just great to see him on stage. Um, yeah, and I'm just excited to roam the floor and check out the different offerings in Bloom, and it's just been so dope. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. Yeah. Hopefully you get a chance to run into Mike Lamuto, who is our DEI manager cool. as well. Yeah. Um, he ran our social equity workshop yesterday as well. Okay, no doubt. Uh, so he's a great person to connect with too while you're yes, here. Yes, for sure. I also got to say Seyun from Elevate. Oh, he's yeah. the homie. We love to take glamour shots together because um, he's swaglicious. Shout out Seyun. <laughs> Absolutely. So thank you, NCIA. This is a bomb. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here. I hope you have a great rest of your experience, and it was lovely to sit down with you. Oh, thank you so much. And I'm so excited to be in this podcast studio here on the expo floor. I get to see faces and people, including my friend here, Mark Ross, who has a role with Vicente Cedarberg, one of the uh, 
groups that are responsible for helping to legalize cannabis for adult use seven years ago. Welcome to my podcast studio, Mark. Thanks, Bethany. It's a pleasure to be here. So we know this isn't your first NCIA show. I've definitely seen you around for years, uh, but how does it feel to be back uh, after a couple years of kind of being virtual because of the COVID-19 pandemic? You know, it's been fantastic. Uh, for this industry, it's so essential for us to be able to get together in person and really connect. Uh, it's just been essential and it's, it's been so challenging in the last couple of years. What I have found so interesting in the last three months is just the enthusiasm for live events. And it just seems that there's one after another. It seems like it's almost every other week. In the last week, there were three. Mm -hmm. um, it's just, uh, it's so essential for the business of this industry that we be able to gather and, and talk and chat and share ideas and explore new opportunities. And so this is a great place to do it. Absolutely. And um, it's a little bit different, right? We did, uh, we did require proof of vaccination and everybody's uh, wearing their fashionable face masks as well. Very nice. I like the tie dye. Oh, yeah. Th there's some good, good fashion here on the expo floor. Uh, but w what are your goals here at this conference? Well, uh, first off, I was asked to speak at Cannabest, so that's my first goal. I'm on a tremendous panel with Khadijah Tribble from Cureleaf and um, Steve Hawkins from USCC and, um, and being able to talk about my passion, which is environmental, social, and governance. Beyond that, it's to reconnect with the industry and continue to tell the story about why this industry can and, and must do better around those, around those areas environmental, social, and governance, and how we can do it in a very thoughtful, business-oriented, ROI-driven way. Uh, and then it's also just to see friends and reconnect uh, with my West Coast homies and my national homies and, and um, be able to share bad or uh, old times and new times. So Yeah, you bet. Um, I noticed that you said that events like this are essential for us to get together and it reminded me of early 2020 in the strictest of pandemic lockdowns when cannabis was deemed an essential business and we were allowed to operate in most states where it was legal for adults wasn't that kind of groundbreaking for the legitimizing our industry uh, you know it was absolutely uh, surprising and also amazing. I mean, you and I are both in Denver, Colorado, right. where um, for about an hour they decided to close down dispensaries and that was a, <laughs> that was a disaster. The hour. We um, survived. <laughs> we survived the hour without cannabis. Um, but, but no, but it just tells, it, it's just a testament to how far the movement has come uh, with regard to educating politicians and the general public about how this is an essential medicine for millions and millions of people around the world. And, uh, and I think that was reflected in every single state declaring it essential. Absolutely. The only one was Massachusetts. I, I, I wag my finger at Massachusetts, but every other adult use state did, did deem it essential. Um, so let's talk about uh, your history with NCIA. You've been a member in a couple of capacities before you joined the team at VS. What's it been like being involved in this national trade association with big multi-state operators all the way down to mom and pop boutique cannabis companies. You know, I first got involved in NCIA in 
2017, 2016, uh, and I'm forever indebted to the organization because I came to the organization with the idea of conducting the first employee engagement survey uh, to really find out what employees in the industry cared about with regard to their, their jobs, whether it's salary or benefits, but also about what they cared about with regard to uh, community engagement and sustainability and uh, and nothing like that had ever been done before for the industry with a trade association like like yours and uh, and then you all gave me the tools and the opportunity to do that and create a white paper out of it which served me well in launching my career in the cannabis industry so back then um, it was a much different industry than it is now obviously every many more different. every year's different <laughs> it's the whole dog years thing yeah um, you know uh, there are so many other players now what I'm finding interesting though in watching my little window on the industry which again deals with social impact community impact sustainability is that more companies are talking about it and I think that's a reflection of a few things one is uh, you have more people from outside industries consumer packaged goods alcohol health and beauty products that understand that there's an ROI and a, and a business imperative to engage on these issues uh, and so you have growth in that area and then you have more companies that are also seeing an opportunity to differentiate themselves from their competition around these same issues and then of course you have the perfect storm of, of, um, of Black Lives Matter and the George Floyd tragedy and um, climate change happening very quickly and water resources becoming less while uh, renewable energy opportunities are becoming cheaper for companies to utilize. And you have this, this amazing gumbo of activism coming together in, in a new way in this industry. And so I've, I've watched it evolve over the last six years in that way. And I'm, I'm so excited about what 2022 and 2023 and 2024 can bring in these areas about which I am so passionate. I'm curious, what brought you to cannabis? Um, what is your relationship to the plant, the movement, and the industry? I've been a, a cannabis, uh, I don't want to say user, because user sounds like you're an enthusiast. addict. Enthusiast. Uh, I have Fish utilized I have utilized cannabis on a, for a number of reasons. One is just for chronic pain and for skiing and things like that. I started utilizing cannabis. I remember uh, in high school was the first time I tried it, and uh, utilized it through college and mainly recreationally, creativity, um, uh, in that way. Uh, but my relationship with cannabis has only grown deeper over the years, as I have found uh, in very efficient ways to help cure what ails me. Um, and also, I have found as a, the parent of a young child, it has given me a tremendous amount of patience and also the ability to problem solve with a child, which has, <laughs> I never thought I would use cannabis in this way, um, but it has, has allowed me to be more patient and more uh, empathetic mm. and uh, and just more creative and problem solving with the issues that that he has from time to time as as 11 year olds are want to do <laughs> uh, so my relationship has gone from more of a, a fun creativity to more of a medicinal use while I live in a in an adult use state right right um, thinking about adult use states, medical states, you know, we're, we're filling out that map across the U.S., state by state. We were Three gonna, more to go. Right. Uh, <laughs> we're we're going to start taking bets on which state's going to be the last uh, holdout, right? <laughs> um, so a few years ago, we used to say that 
Federal legalization's coming. We're so close. It's going to be 2020, right? Oh, wait, that was that was last year, and it's it's pretty much 2022 now. So, what's uh, do you have a prediction, an updated prediction, if you will, for federal legalization? No I'm, crystal ball. I'm going to say the same thing I said if you asked me four years ago, last time I was on this podcast, three to five years, uh, which is what it, it just seems like it's always three to five years out. You know, I, I don't know. I would love to see it sooner. Um, my fear about um, being arrested for cannabis has gone down tremendously with sure. each passing year. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and so I would like to see it federally legalized for a number of reasons. One, from an environmental standpoint, it doesn't make sense to do some of the practices that we are doing, that we are forced to do right. by having, you know, 50 different states uh, with cannabis. It just doesn't make sense. The efficiencies aren't there. Right. And so I would love to, from an environmental standpoint, uh, and a sustainability standpoint, see it happen sooner rather than later. And I think that's one of the main levers we pull with with, with all of this legislation. And we explain to legislators, look, th- th- there's an environmental uh, imperative here. Um, from a social standpoint as well, there are other opportunities to having a national system. Um, from a social equity standpoint, there are reasons to have it. From a big operator standpoint, the efficiencies of supply chain, it just makes more sense. Uh, it, it is insane how we do things. There's no other industry that has to operate like this. And so um, I don't know when it's going to happen. Uh, I think anyone that tells you when it's going to happen is probably a fool. But um, as, and, and as I work with and, well, and I and and I work with some of the brightest people in this industry that, as you mentioned, you know, help legalize cannabis, and and they move, you know, our folks move from state to state and helping write laws around the country, around the world, around cannabis. And so it's if if my bosses can't tell me and my colleagues can't tell me when federal legalization is going to happen, I'd be a fool to tell you when it's going to happen. Well, we're really glad to have you as a member of NCIA and um, in multiple capacities over the years as well. Um, our committees have really um, gotten more sophisticated. We have 14 industry sector communities uh, committees now, ranging from cultivation to human resources. And uh, this concept of sustainability I'm hearing is, is environmental, but there's also some of the things you were mentioning fall under this greater idea of creating sustainability for our industry. And that includes the social aspect as well as compensation, you know, compensating our people so they stay in our industry. Is, is that kind of uh, where you're working kind of in your concepts there as well? Uh, my my position as head of impact and ESG for Vicente Cedarberg is almost like a consulting group within a law firm. So it's doing what I've been doing for the last several years in the industry with the with a small interruption of me going to a multi-state operator to help them build a corporate responsibility program. But yeah, it touches on all of those areas. And what I love about NCIA's um, approach to this lately has been, I've been part of the City of Denver's Cannabis Sustainability Work Group for almost six years now. And uh, we put out a best management practices guide in 2016, and now NCIA has taken some of that work and built upon it, uh, making it a much larger conversation with a much uh, larger megaphone than we could have ever done from the work group out of the city of Denver, uh, which is a public-private partnership. And so 
the approach that NCI is taking to, t to touch on all of these issues around environmental sustainability, social impact, social equity, governance, um, because you do have lawyers as well as part of NCIA, um, it's, it's the right approach for, for this particular kind of trade association. Trade associations outside of cannabis focus on this as well uh, in consumer packaged goods and in other trade associations. But what NCIA does with regard to this is, you know, frankly, very smart. And I think, um, I think that area of the organization should and probably will continue to grow as more and more consumers and companies start to embrace these concepts. Yeah, and something I was thinking of earlier um, is the idea of interstate commerce. Um, and this can play into environmental issues as well, uh, simply because of climate in certain states versus others, right? I think there's an idea that we could reduce our carbon footprint if we're a little smarter about where and how we are growing and cultivating cannabis. What are your thoughts there? For sure. No question about it. I mean, it does not make sense for us to be growing cannabis in warehouses in cold climates. Right. I mean, obviously, we're going to have boutique and craft cannabis, and that's going to continue to happen. But we don't need to do it on large scales, uh, large scale when we have federal legalization. Mm -hmm. It's not like we grow coffee in Washington, in the state of Washington, in a warehouse. It's not like we grow corn in Maine. Um, the, these are not, it doesn't make sense from an efficiency standpoint, from a supply chain standpoint, and most of all, from a sustainability standpoint. Now, there are going to be other issues that come up then with what's called scope three emissions, which deal with transportation or scope two as well. Uh, because if we start trucking and shipping and flying cannabis all mm -hmm. over the world, that's a different kind of carbon footprint. Sure. Uh, that's not to say that we won't be able to address it and we won't be able to reduce it and we won't be able to uh, minimize it. But it's going, that's going to be the next evolutionary discussion around at least climate and cannabis. Awesome. Yeah. A lot of work to be done in this industry for sure, but we're all in this together. Luckily, I'm still young. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for sitting down with us today, Mark. I'm going to let you get back to the show floor to see all, see all of our friends and colleagues and get some good education in. Thank you for sitting down with me. Thanks for having me, Bethany. This has been, this has been great. Keep up the great work. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.